1: Hello, and welcome to This Is Civity Radio Show. My name is Gina Baleria, and I am here today with Paul Vandekar. Paul is co-founder of Working Narratives and their managing director, and Working Narratives has been doing some really interesting work with storytelling to make connections. So, Paul, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Gina. I'm pleased to be here.
1: Okay, wonderful. So, first of all, let's start with Working Narratives. Tell me a little bit about your organization uh, and and what led you to co-found it. Yes.
2: Uh, working Narratives is now five years old. Uh, our mission is to uh, work with grassroots organizations and nonprofits, and artists and funders and others uh, to tell great stories that inspire and enliven our democracy. Um, and it uh, as I said, it started five years ago. Uh, I co-founded it with a guy named Nick Suburla, who's a media activist. Um, and the the reason we got going, our sort of signature project. Uh, From the start, uh, it was called Nation Inside, and the idea was to uh, gather stories of people who had been affected by the criminal justice system in the United States um, uh, on the notion that uh, that hadn't been done adequately (laughs) at that point. Um, I mean, in the news uh, or in popular culture and film and so forth, a lot of what we hear is uh, not informed by reality. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um it's the the voices of people uh in prison or who've been in prison or the family members of people who've been in prison uh are just not heard that widely. And so we felt that uh their voices and their stories had to inform public policy on prisons and jails, uh and the whole criminal justice system. Um so the uh the thinking there was that uh uh, we would create uh, sort of an infrastructure for the movement on a criminal justice system to gather so sort of those stories uh, mm-hmm. and to, to share them and to uh, link them to public policy uh, efforts. Uh, and that we would also do other projects with other movements uh, along the same lines.
1: Wonderful. And so you were starting, I mean, you'd probably done some other work in your life, but this was really an opportunity to... Sort of give voice to the voiceless or connect those voices with people who hadn't yet heard them
2: yes exactly and and to make policy change uh which is a, a critical element of this uh we don't i mean I think it's it's great if people uh, who haven't heard these voices now hear them uh, and that might make some change, but we really wanted to uh, link it to. Uh, an actual change in policy.
1: Got it. Okay, that sounds great. And tell me, uh, do you find that you've been able to move policy based on some of the work you've done with Working Narratives?
2: Yeah, um, I think uh, in we've had some uh, victories both on the national level and local level and state level. Uh, Working Narratives was uh, one of three organizations, uh, along with the Center for Media Justice um, and it's, uh, Center for Human Rights Defense, uh, that. Um, got the uh, Federal Communications Commission to cap and slash the rates of phone calls from prisons. Uh, It it costs an extraordinary amount to (laughs) to call from prisons. Maybe you see uh, on Orange is the New Black or other shows, uh, people in a bank of phones uh, calling their loved ones. Um, That is ridiculously or was ridiculously expensive. Now it's just somewhat expensive, um, to do it. Sometimes, uh, the rates of calling from prison were more than calling from a Hilton hotel, you know, it could have been, uh, 10, $15 for just a 10 or 15 minute call. Um, and these are, uh, you know, families of people who, uh, normally do not have the resources. They're poor people. Uh, so, um, to, have to spend that much money just to keep in touch with loved ones uh is uh it's a drain on their resources. Um, and so sometimes it's a choice between staying in touch with a loved one or eating well or uh what have you. So uh working narratives, does uh <clears throat> gathered stories about people affected by the high cost of prison phone calls um and uh uh and then we uh, had the we helped you know as a uh, one of the three partners in the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, push those stories out to legislators. We uh, we did a national radio broadcast of them, uh, and uh, um, also did short videos uh, to rally the base uh, to uh, write their legislators and, and to pressure the FCC. Mm-hmm. So the FCC did uh, regulate the cost of prison phone calls. Uh, across state lines uh, and now the battle is uh on getting that same rule for uh, phone calls within a state
1: wow So, so I I have two, I have two questions. So one, I want one, you brought up Orange is the New Black and you guys are trying to move policy and you're telling stories and you're utilizing media. And then there's this sort pop culture phenomenon in the show of Orange is the New Black. Do you find that that helps or, or hinders your work in any way? Do you, do you, do you find that when a pop culture narrative takes hold, uh, that's, that's sort of a counter narrative that it, it helps the cause or are there problems with that?
2: Um, great question. Uh, I mean, I think Orange is the New Black is a pretty well-informed show politically. Uh, Piper Kerman, who wrote the book, Orange is the New Black, that the series is based on, um, is a very, uh, smart advocate for criminal justice reform, um, and for the rights of, uh, incarcerated people. Uh, and she's a I can remember her title, which is essentially a producer on the show or a special advisor to the show. Okay. So I think uh, "Orange is the New Black" is uh, a bit of a special case in that it's, <laughs> you know, that it's, it they they take care to and
1: it's done it well.
2: Being... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's done well. I mean, that's not to say that there aren't uh, unrealistic things in the show, or um, but uh, but I think um, yeah, absolutely. And, and "Orange is the New Black" uh, for anybody who's watched it you know, you know that they've, uh, that's, um, tackled in a really, in an entertaining way, <laughs> uh, you know, the abuse of prisoners by guards. Uh, they've, uh, talked, you know, in the last, uh, season, the prison, uh, where the show takes place was privatized and that kind they show how that affects treatment of the prisoners and, uh, and the morale of the guards and everything. Uh, it talks about, uh, uh, solitary confinement and so forth. So um, they're just doing a really good job. So I think in the case of Orange is the New Black, um, uh, it, it pretty much only helps to have that show out there. Then And uh, and Laverne Cox, too, so, uh, the, um, uh, who plays Sophia on the show, a transgender uh, actress and a transgender character, um, is using her celebrity to... Uh, advocate for uh, change in the criminal justice system as well.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. That, so that's great. Uh, and then yeah. I want to ask, uh, with your own storytelling and in, in working narrative specifically, can you think of or what, what's sort of the most compelling story you've connected with or told or brought to light um, with regard to this, this issue?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, you know, there's uh, an activist uh, named Lily Branch Kennedy uh, in Virginia, who uh, Working Narratives has done a lot of work with, um, and, and specifically the Nation Inside project of Working Narratives, which again is uh, the project in criminal justice reform. Um, Lily, in a sense, Lily hardly needs any help <laughs> to tell her story, but we help her uh, distribute it. Um, she uh, is from New York uh, originally uh, and moved to Virginia with her family. Um, and, uh, her son got, uh, sort of tangentially mixed up in some, uh, uh, some business. I guess he was in a, uh, a vehicle where there was a gun present and, uh, there was, uh, a shooting, uh, fatal, if I remember correctly. Um, and he only had a very minor, he was in the car, uh, when this incident happened um, and through a series of, uh, insane, uh, sort of strange winding roots in the criminal justice system and the legal system, uh, he was sent, sentenced to over a hundred years in prison. <gasps> um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, sentence was reduced, uh, but he's still in prison now. I think he's been there about no, 12, 13 years, 14 years. Wow. Um, And uh, so, you know, I think, and and now Lily has become uh, a passionate advocate for reform in Virginia uh, and beyond, Um, and, you know, and not just for reform of the uh, sentencing laws and so forth, and just like the insane sentencing laws, but also, um, you know, parole and the, the conditions uh, for prisoners, um, uh, you know, uh, her son spent some time at, um, uh, the, uh, supermax prison, um, near Virginia, uh, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, one of the most notorious supermax prisons, uh, in the country. And, uh, I wish I, I feel, hey, I wish I could do the story justice, um, but just the most obscene miscarriage of justice uh, and something that happens far too commonly. Wow. Uh, so, um, we try to help uh, people like Lily, uh, share their stories better and to target it for, for reform. That's
1: really amazing. Is working narratives doing anything beyond, uh, the prison system or the uh, incarceration or injustice?
2: Yeah, we have several projects. Um, uh, Related primarily to racial justice, um, we uh, uh, there's the free movement campaign, uh, a project called Black Man Running, uh, uh, which uh, is in North Carolina, and uh, it started as Black Man Running. It's uh, essentially a uh, a 5K race um, uh, and associated sort of arts performances and. Community mapping and community histories, uh, which um, you know, I think we've seen with with shootings of young black men in the country by uh, police, um, that uh, the movement of black men and also black women in the society is just so confined uh, that you know people might have that African American young men might have. Certain routes they might take home, or they know where they can't go, or you know, they, you know, they might get hassled by the police here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that you know, we've seen uh, videos of young black men r- running from the police, uh, even if it's in dashboard, uh, uh, cam, uh videos. Um, so uh, black man running as a way of reversing that uh, dynamic, if you will, uh, instead of black man running away from justice, it's they're running away from the police and justice oh system and being very confined in their movement. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that they're uh, running in a in a 5K race and building community through that and uh, participating in, again in community uh, arts events and community history uh, programs. Wow. Uh, so.
1: That's amazing. And it's, I, I'm married to um, a black man, and he is amazing, of course. and uh, but but it is interesting what I am learning about something that, of course, has never affected me. Uh, mm-hmm. it, just a million stories, but one in particular comes to mind where we had we were moving a couple of pieces of furniture and we had an old truck, and it was nighttime and we walked out and turned on the truck, and one of the headlights was out, and so he sort of froze, and I said, do, do you want me to drive?" And hes, "Yeah, I do." And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they just a tiny little thing like that, but it's like, I, I know exactly what he's thinking, you know, Mm. that headlights a reason to be pulled over and something could go, you know, of course, you you know, it may or may not happen that way, but he's definitely thinking that way
0: and that's confining.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And then for many
1: Mm -hmm. people, it's even, you know, it obviously goes much farther than that, but just that little moment gave me an insight into, you know, how he has to, how he has to think and how he has to live.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's uh that's one I hadn't thought of before. <laughs> I mean, I think I think like a lot of you know white people, I certainly uh, try to be conscious of you know when I'm being you know basically I'm having a certain amount of privilege uh, all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but you know when I go into stores, and I think uh, you know I could just I could walk in here and not be monitored or uh, not everyone think that I'm gonna shoplift or mm-hmm. uh, whereas you know. A black person was
0: doing the same thing could not. But, uh.
2: yeah,
1: that's true. Well, I want to talk more about stories and and talk about this incredible podcast that you've been that you've been doing. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll delve into sto- uh, more storytelling and your podcast. Who are you? So you're listening to this, this is Civity Radio. We will be right back.
0: What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Did you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? Or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS? Hi, this is Olivia Fox. And you know, on the internet, there are tons of special networking websites. But one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, and most of them for kidneys? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com, home
1: of the greatest gift of all the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. Welcome back to This Is Civity Radio Show. I am Gina Baleria, and we are on today with Paul Vandekar, Managing Director of Working Narratives, which uses storytelling to bring to light stories uh, of people who are facing injustice, including in our prison system. So, Paul, I uh, I want to talk uh, in a moment about your podcast, Who Are You?, but uh, but to lead into that, I want to ask you, uh, you know, your perspective. Why... Why stories? Why are stories so important? And why use stories to, you know, why why, why this vehicle for you? Yeah.
2: Um, well, I uh, will say for me personally, uh, stories have been important for a long time. Um, I'm gay, and when I first came out of the closet about 25 or, gosh, almost 30 years ago, um, uh, I... Joined a lesbian gay youth group, um, and we all told our coming out stories, <laughs> and everybody had a different one. Um, or some people hadn't come out yet. Uh, you know, some people had been kicked out of the house by their families. Some people had been accepted, you know, and embraced by their families. And um, but sharing our stories was a way of uh, building a little community within this group. Um, so uh, we got to know each other, and then I think you know we when we took those stories outward, for example, if we did outreach uh, uh, events uh, in a community or a school, um, that was a way for other people to get to know gay people on a personal level um, rather than just the the typical uh pop culture representations of gay people, which at that time anyway were quite a bit worse. Um, (laughs) I think they've they've improved a lot. So, you know, stories have been meaningful to me personally uh, in both in my own, you know, coming out early on in my life um, and uh, in changing the attitudes of other people. Uh, And I think stories, you know, continue to be important in the LGBT rights movement. such as around uh, marriage equality and so forth. Um, so that's just sort of for me personally. And I think, you know, uh, more generally speaking, stories are uh, a way into the heart uh, of an issue and to into the hearts of listeners. Um, and I think that uh, again and again, I've just seen where uh, telling a story about uh, or related to a social issue um, can move people in a way that just talking about policies and facts and, uh, numbers, uh, cannot stories are about the the motivation for why we act and the, the facts and figures, uh, oftentimes are just how we act. So if we compare those two, uh, all the better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and and you touched on it, it. Stories can really make connections. You know, when you're trying to when you're trying to either connect with people who may be like you or connect with people who you think are totally different from you by sharing a story, we can often find commonality within that and it helps us it helps us grasp onto something and and see it in a different way. Uh huh. Uh huh. Absolutely. And, yeah, and that's very that's very civity, um, which is what, what we're working on, and that's why we were so intrigued by your story, um, and and also by this podcast you're doing. Who are you? Um, and you've done a couple episodes now, which are incredible, and I encourage everybody to go to go listen to them online. I believe it's whoareyou. Uh, Who Are You dot
2: Who Are You Project dot org.
1: Who Are You Project dot org. So tell me a little bit about what made you. Uh, Well, first of all, tell everybody, uh, if you could talk to me about a little bit, what is this Who Are You podcast? What's your vision?
2: Sure. Uh, So Who Are You uh, is a series of podcasts and there are also blogs and and, uh, some live events. Um, But mainly it's a series of encounters between very different people. So uh, the first person in the series, that was me, uh, chooses someone very different than him or me. (laughs) Uh, So I I chose, uh, you know, I'm a sort of liberal New York guy. I chose a gun rights advocate to speak with. Um, And then so we talk, and then we edited down, uh, or I edited down that four-hour conversation into a podcast episode. Uh, And then the gun rights advocate, whose name is David, chooses someone very different than him in a different way, and they talk, and then we make a podcast out of that. And so on and so forth. Uh, so it's sort of a chain of these uh, dialogues or encounters. Um, and uh, they just do sort the a season of 10, uh, and then a live event that brings together ideally all, if not most, of the uh, participants in that first season.
1: Wow. Now, with the participants, would the live event also include others who wanted to to connect, or is it just the participants?
2: Oh, no, no, it would, I'm sorry, it would be, uh, it would be an open public event. wow. Uh, So.
1: Wow. And then what would be, what would you be doing at this event? So you've got all of these people here, including the participants who went through this incredible journey on your podcast. Um, And so what do you hope to do with the live event?
2: Um, It's a way of uh, uh, bringing some more people into the uh, process that, that each of these people went through. So. Um, yeah, I think I'd like to have uh, little uh, sort of small groups within the public event where people uh, either pair off or get into small groups and meet uh, other people who are unlike them. <laughs> so um, to deliberately kind of have have them have sort of a miniature experience of uh, some kind of encounter with difference um, and to encourage other people to of to, to, uh, take this on as their own project, essentially.
1: Right, you know, people. Uh, well, as we and we, we we can we can certainly delve into this in a little while. But um, just to jump to springboard into back into your your own, your episode one of your podcast, people. Um, there are several examples of of people in our country these days who don't want to talk to, th- to anyone who's different, who, who equate difference with bad or evil or negativity or, you know, you must hate our country. Uh, that's the dialogue that's going on at a at a sort of societal level. Um, uh-huh. and, and, of course, individually we can all connect with people. But in this sort of climate of, of you know, this is how we as a nation are viewing difference um, overall, it, it It is so important to forge connections, but how do how do we or how do you encourage or convince people, hey, this is a great idea. you should sit down with someone who's different from you and have a chat you know how yeah how, yeah, how do you do that
2: great question uh, I'm not sure yet <laughs> um, I, mean, I think um, you know this uh, I see this project uh, who are you as uh, an experiment basically mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the questions that I'm seeking to, if not answer, then at least address uh, in the course of these dialogues. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the the answer for myself, or just about why this is important, I guess is just that it's interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I think just for me, I, I mean, I, I really enjoy, uh, meeting with and learning from someone who's very different than me. Um, you know, I, I I started this project, uh, I mean, really I started going on it last year. Um, uh, and there was uh, a man I met who had spent almost 10 years in solitary confinement. Um, and, uh, you know, it just kind of blew my mind. Like, what is that like? Uh, I mean, he was just such a gentle man and now uh, an advocate uh, for uh, ending solitary confinement. Um, And so I think, you know, the the title, Who Are You? Uh, For me, the conversations uh, break down a little bit into um, two kinds. There's the who are you like oh, my God, how could you possibly think, you know, what you <laughs> who think? Who
1: are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who
2: are you? Who the heck are you? And then there's, uh, and then on the other hand, there's, who are you? Like, I really want to know what your experience is. Like, what's it like to be you, mm-hmm. essentially? Um, so there's a bit of that. I mean, I think there's a bit of that in in any kind of encounter across differences, like, what on earth I like? And... Oh my God! <laughs> you know <laughs> what are you thinking? Yes. Um, so uh, I'm sorry. I feel like I've have gone off the track of your question a little bit. But, not at um, all. Not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, so you know, I think it's just uh, for me. Again, for me personally, it's just interesting. Um, yeah. To to learn about people are different. Yeah. Uh, and so
1: um, so on that note, you um, you decided to bring in. Uh, the farthest from a New York liberal you could find, which was a conservative gun rights advocate, um, mm-hmm. and sat down and had a conversation with him, and and um, and it was really it was an incredible thing. So tell me why why him or why that person
2: for you? Yeah. Um, well, actually, my first choice uh, was a prepper, uh, in other words, someone who's preparing for either the collapse of government or take government takeover. Um, yeah. And there's actually a whole reality TV show. It's not a reality TV show. I'm sorry. It's more like a, it's a, a series of sort of uh, about preppers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I imagine somebody who was maybe not stockpiling guns, but you know, at least <laughs> was, was kind of maybe upstate New York or somewhere in a rural area. Um, And, uh, you know, who just thought that the government was the biggest problem we had. Um, and, you know, whereas I believe that, uh, you know, I think the government is bad for some people, absolutely, but I hardly think that it's the worst problem for, let's say, low income white people. Mm Um, uh, you know, um, I mean, I think we could say that, you know, just again, looking at the criminal justice system, uh, you know, it's clearly biased against African-Americans and, you know, from start to finish. Uh, so I guess I was just baffled by how anybody, uh, you know, white men, even if they're low income, you know, uh, camping out of the woods, thinking that the government's going to take over, how on earth can you believe that the government is the problem?
0: <laughs> um,
2: and, uh so that was my original uh, desire was to speak with a prepper. That would have um, been
1: incredible, I, by the way.
2: I would have yeah, loved,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> absolutely. Now that said, I um, the producer on the project, Allison Byrne, is just a fabulously talented producer, um, and I we could not find a prepper for me to speak with, mm-hmm. uh, at least not in the New York City area, um, because we're sort of confined by budget and geography. So one of the find someone close to New York where I live. Um, and I think that's partly uh, the nature of the beast. The preppers don't want to be known. Uh, some of them do. Some of them are very public. They write books and podcasts and so forth uh, or blogs. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, uh, they want to remain private. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that problem. And then in addition, I think uh there were some people who just didn't trust that we were going to fairly represent them mm-hmm. um, so uh, so there was that and I think now that we have a couple of podcasts under our belt, and uh you know I think people are more likely to you know maybe take a listen and say like, okay, these, <laughs> these folks are okay. They're not going to represent me. Right.
0: Um,
2: so anyway, uh, so that was my original interest, uh, but then it kind of morphed into gun rights. Um, and I just think, uh, um, you know, with, with, the shootings that happen, uh, mass shootings and, and, you know, individual shootings and so forth, or 30 something thousand gun deaths a year. Um, uh, how someone could possibly think that more guns is a solution um and so uh we connected with this guy david uh who a uh, uh, sort of gun educator, he trains people in guns, a gun rights advocate, card carrying member of the n r a as they say um, and he considers himself a libertarian rather than a conservative, but uh certainly at some point uh he's aligned with uh, the,
0: you
1: know, the mm-hmm. gun rights folks. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we are it. To- that's amazing. And so what? Uh, now there were some moments in that podcast that were pretty incredible. Um, I remember uh, when he was explaining to you, uh, you know, what why guns that you know the that he felt that they would keep his family safe, and and he described sort of. Um, you know his perspective on that. I I remember mm-hmm. what I loved your reaction because you were truly listening, and you didn't come back with a well, okay, but I think this way. You were just like, oh, huh, and and I remember that was a really powerful moment in the podcast for me because, um, I knew you were listening, and I and I and I knew that was something that, or it sounded as if that was something that you hadn't considered before. Uh-huh. And, and, um, and I just really loved that moment. And it really showed me as a listener, the power of, of hearing other people's perspectives. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, it, um, I was changed in ways that I was surprised to find. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not going to go buy a gun now or, you know, join the NRA or anything, but, um, but I think, um, yeah, I, uh, a few things. Changed for me, and that that surprised me. I suppose Um, one was that I mean I think David uh, is a very reasonable, rational guy. So if I had had a prepper or some kind of gun (laughs) nuts, you know, um, uh, just screaming and yelling, screaming and yelling, um, I would have probably just had my views reinforced. Um, uh, But yeah, I think. you know david uh he's got a wife and a young kid and um you know whom he of course loves very much and and for him uh guns are about yeah protecting them and and uh and protecting himself if necessary and protecting others um so uh you know i think just his sincerity and his genuineness in that mm-hmm. uh surprised me in a way um uh so you know that doesn't this and you know there are certain things he said about uh gun rights and policy and so forth that 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 turned me um now since then uh that dialogue actually that was already months ago um uh i've you know, read other things where I think, well, you know, maybe David's not right about that. <laughs> you know, so i he might say that I've slid back a little bit, but um,
0: but yeah,
2: but uh, but no, I was I was generally interested to learn about him, and yeah, I think the uh, I tried to listen well. So
1: yeah, do you have an ongoing dialogue with him now, where you can send him stuff and be like, hey, I just have a question. He said this, but I saw this. Like, can you do that?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're uh, in touch by email and phone sometimes. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, you participated in the second right. dialogue. Right. Um, so, yeah, and I think, um, and he's just, he's uh, <laughs> just such a, uh, again, sort of a rational guy. That's another word I'm looking for that I'm missing, but, that you know, he just sort of goes through things point by point. Yeah. Um, and, again, that doesn't mean we totally agree, but just that I can appreciate that, uh, you know, yeah, he's, he's not in that case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes sitting down, <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, and sometimes sitting down with, um, what is it? A, a, an almost not a non-partial, an unpartial party. I, this is, it's a slightly tangential, but my dad is uh, very different politically from me. And, um, we've mm-hmm. always been able to talk, but you know, you can imagine in this current political climate, it's much more difficult. Um, and he'll always whenever we do talk he'll always go to the most extreme you know about guns or whatever and i was i was floored the other day we were having dinner and my husband was at the table and we started talking about guns and my dad comes out with this perfectly reasonable position about, you know, regulation and um, making sure people who don't have guns. And I, I was like, wait, why can't you say that to me? But he's, you know, it's, it's, it's just not possible. You know, we've gone down, that, <laughs> we've gone down that road to where he's not going to give an inch. Uh-huh. And and so I was so thankful that my husband was was at the table, because all of a sudden. I- <laughs> He's hearing this amazing... I'm like, we could have a great conversation based on that. I don't get it. Um, But um, so I loved your podcast, and I love that the two of you were willing to sit down together. I really want to have a conversation about the second podcast because it also blew me away. I'd like Uh to take a a quick break again, and then we come back. We'll talk more about the podcast between um, our libertarian gun rights advocate and a transgender woman. So we will be right back here on This Is Civity Radio Show him right
0: up there. Stop the car right here. Gang violence. Gunshots. Unpicked and Vine. Police. Jail. A family.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be okay.
0: A brother alone.
1: Hey, little man, come here. What you got on your bag?
0: A sister afraid. A father worried. Son, are you okay? A child without. (laughs) A mother counting the days till her boy is home. I just hope my baby's safe. These are the sounds of gang violence. From the day you're sentenced, your family starts facing the true hard time with you. Something to think about before you commit a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council.
1: Welcome back to This Is Civity Radio Show. We are here today with Paul Vandekar of Working Narratives. He's the managing director. And he's also been doing a podcast called Who Are You? Not Who Are You, but Who Are You? And um, we were just talking about his first podcast. And then for the second podcast, uh, the man who agreed to be with you, Paul, on the first one, he then chose his own, quote, other, or someone that he you know, would like to know more about and doesn't quite, uh, understand the perspective of, and his choice was a transgender woman. I want to talk a little bit about that podcast as well. First, did he share his, uh, with you, his, uh, impetus behind that? He mentioned it a little bit on the podcast, but when he was, uh, when he was making his choice with you, did he share his reasoning?
2: He did. Um, he describes himself, uh, in the podcast as just kind of your basic straight guy. And, uh you know, he said that you know, it's not that he's never had any uh never met a transgender person or a gay person or anything like that. Um so it's not totally foreign to him, but uh he just didn't uh like he couldn't imagine wanting to change his gender. I mean that it was something so fundamental to him uh that he couldn't imagine doing that. Uh so I guess that's the that's the short version of why he uh,
1: chose that, <laughs> and I was fascinated by his description of himself, your typical straight guy. as uh, uh, and I my first thought was as if there's a typical straight guy. But then, of course, right. you know we know what he means. but um
0: uh-huh.
1: and and so but he he, too, you know, again, you describe him as a very rational individual. but he, too, was very open to um, listening and really hearing the story of this person uh, in front of him as this person uh-huh. explained her perspective um, yeah. which was first of all wonderfully refreshing um, and I thought uh, for me the most powerful moment of that podcast was the moment when and tell me the name of the of the woman who agreed to be, take part
2: uh, Cecilia
1: that's right Cecilia so that really powerful moment when Cecilia describes being a child and not even thinking, but having to use the restroom and walking into the girl's restroom because it made the most sense Uh and getting in trouble and struggling to understand what did I do wrong? What's happening? Uh, uh, Like I was moved by that experience. And, and, Mm -hmm. and even I, who am already on board, it connected me so much with, what it must be like to to face that confusion and not have and not have a space in society to help make uh-huh. sense of it,
2: yeah, absolutely um uh, and I think Cecilia, in particular I guess say is just such a i don't want to say a spokeswoman for transgender people because that that there's uh, raises some complications uh anybody is a spokesperson for a whole group, but sure. um I think she just speaks so uh uh clearly and with such humor about um her own experience uh and the experience of people she knows. Um and Cecilia also mentions in the podcast uh I won't give away the whole thing but uh she thought she was uh when she was very young, uh she thought she was uh um had actually been sent to Earth by aliens because that was the only explanation <laughs> for uh, why she could uh you know be this way or what she could feel this
1: way. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was incredible. And, 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 um, then the response from David was just very open. In fact, David even reached down inside himself to come up with like, how can I understand this? This is my closest experience. And I, and, and so I was really impressed with him for being willing to go there and think about like, how might I relate to this? Well, I still can't, but I can listen to you. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and that, and that's incredible. And so, you know, what you're, what you're doing is, is just for, for my perspective, some beautifully beautiful civity work in getting people to reach across differences and truly hear each other. Um, what have been, what have been the responses to your podcast?
2: Uh, so far so good. I mean, so we have really just recently launched, but, um, uh, gotten some lovely emails from people, uh, uh, you know, I think for the third po- first podcast, you know, uh, some people have said, I'm <laughs> amazed that you changed or what happened or, um, <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> how did you possibly. <laughs>
0: um,
2: and then, uh, you know, David has said that uh, um, the responses that he's gotten actually also just uh, uh, you know, he's gotten some great uh, positive responses um, and, you know, from uh, some from uh, other gun rights advocates and uh, others not, who uh, felt that he just made a good, I'm mean, not exactly making a good case, but he just explained his own experience, you know, and, and that uh, helped them understand uh, this issue better. Um, and then actually, the, the second podcast just got launched this week, so <laughs> we haven't gotten any response to that yet. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: just oh. uh, 2 days ago. Well, uh, go to um to uh the org. Did I get that right? Oh no. Or who are you? Project Who are you? Project Forgive me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's incredible. I encourage everybody to listen. And and really, just a clear example of of doing civity, of really trying to bridge divides. So on that note, we've just got a couple minutes left, and and I do want to talk with you, given your given your unique position as a storyteller, as someone who's trying to tell stories for people who can't otherwise get their stories told, and also someone who's trying to bridge divides with this podcast that you're doing, um, y- you know, you're really thinking about, uh, you know, about shifting the narrative and about, about doing some good to help bring people together or help shed light on issues. So given your work and given our current sort of national political climate, um, have you noticed that things are getting more difficult? Do you, um, do you find that it's, that, um, when you try to sort of, Connect with people that there are more challenges, or do you find that when you get down one-on-one with someone, that it's still there—that we can still talk with each other?
2: Um, interesting. Uh, I do feel it's still there. That you know that that uh, I mean, and I, 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 on some level, I feel like I, just, I I have to believe that you know yeah. that we we have to be able to connect uh, across whatever differences we may have. Um, that may not mean that we're going to agree with, you know, the other person, but just that so we can at least see into their experience, a little bit or feel into it. Um, uh, so, because, you know, if that's not possible, then we're doomed. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, sort of a, a constant struggle, if you will, uh, to try to, uh, reach across some of these divides, um, some of them won't be bridged. Um, and that's just that. And I think, you know, too, that there's just the question of raw political power. You know, some people want what they have and they want more of it. (laughs) Um, and you know, no amount of dialogue is going to change that. Um, but, uh, in the areas where dialogue can, uh, play a role then, uh, but I hope we can, uh, do that.
1: Yeah, and and when you bring up the whole idea of political power and I've got mine and campaign finance reform, and we could go on and on. It, it you're right. I mean, I think I think in in our current position, it's difficult for dialogue to heal that. But perhaps the hope is that if we can get enough dialogue going, that we can do what our nation was set up to do, and and the people can pressure, you know, the powers that be to. To be moved, you know, even, you know, and, and, and I mean, pine in the sky idealism here, but, but I, you know, I wonder if enough of this dialogue or enough of this connection and bridging divides can eventually push up and push through some of that sort of political um, chokehold.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, I think that uh, dialogue and storytelling within a movement is a way to strengthen that movement um, and to build political power mm-hmm. for change. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, I want to th- yeah, I want to thank you so very much for being here. It's been an amazing conversation. We've been talking with Paul Vandekar, managing director and co-founder of Working Narratives, also uh, host of a podcast called Who Are You, and that's also tied to a blog and an event and and a whole uh, host of things helping to bridge divides. You can find out about that more about that at whoareyouproject.org. Paul, thank you very much for being with us on this Ascivity Radio Show today.
2: All right, and thank you, Gina.
0: Thank
1: you. This is Gina Valeria, and we will talk to you next week. Have a great day.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office.